Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, this is Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. Library computer, data being received. Welcome back to Moms Going Boldly. Today we're talking about the second season Discovery episode, Saints of Imperfection. Vicki, this is the one where we get to go visit Tilly in the Spore world. What did you think of this episode? It, it was good. Like I said, I'm getting bored with all of this, really. But um, I was glad that, well, I knew, we knew, we kind of knew they were going to think Dr. Culver. So I was glad at that. Yeah. Um, I was kind of happy to find out exactly what what was her name? May was. Yes. Though I was a little confused because they're blaming uh, Stamets. And did we forget that it was the other Stamets that <laughs> they said destroyed the the mycelial network? Yeah, maybe. Or maybe they're unable to tell the difference between mirror universe Stamets's. Because it was said more than once that he was destroying it. Except that... Back when we were in... Except that, and, and, and I think that's an important point, and we're kind of leaping ahead in our story here, so we'll back up in just a moment, but it wasn't Stamets that was destroying the mycelial network. It was actually Dr. Culber who was destroying the network, but they somehow affiliated, associated Dr. Culber's presence with Stamets. That's the kind of the sense I got. Did I get that wrong? Well, that's what May is saying now. Yeah. But- Earlier, when we discovered there was two Stamets, and one they were using, you know, the the Prime Universe was using the yes. mycelial network to jump, but the other Stamets was using it for something else, and I can't remember what. Yeah, no, and you're right. He was destroying. Yes, he was using it network. to for the power of their ship and to power their weapons and stuff. Right. Yeah. So I wonder right. if these things are related or not. I think that's a really, I think that's a good question. You raise an excellent point. I was a little confused by that. Yeah, no, that's important. You didn't get the impression that Dr. Culver was destroying the network. I got the impression that because he was covering himself with those, whatever they were. Some um, kind of bark. He was killing the spores. Entity. Yeah. That lived there. Yeah, Yeah, that's a, yep, you're right. So I think. responsible for the destruction of the network. I think that's uh, I think that's something that hopefully they'll clarify. It's, yeah. I, I do think they missed that point, but you never know; they might. So well done. So this this episode starts off. I, I really liked the way this episode starts off, um, and every episode is starting off with a voiceover by Michael Burnham, and I like that. I think that's kind of cool because it reminds us that this story is from her perspective, and she is just distraught at the word that Tilly may be dead and she's racing to engineering 
to find out what's going on and her voiceover takes place while she's racing and I thought that was a very powerful scene I thought it did a terrific job of showing how emotionally attached she is to her roommate Tilly then we get to engineering and she's distraught and in despair and she thinks Tilly's gone and then somehow there's a whole lot of uh, techno babble and they realize that maybe the cocoon didn't eat Tilly maybe it transported her in which case they could go where she went which is you know terrific but meanwhile they are closing in on Spock's shuttle Spock is the shuttle is eluding them and they have to you know I think it, I think they had to uh, they had to disable a shuttle with a couple of photon torpedoes right in front of them and so anyway they they pull the shuttle aboard and they open it and it's not Spock it's Agent Georgiou except that to everyone except Michael they think it's Captain Georgiou Michael is the only one who knows it's the Empress from the other universe and of course Captain Pike being the sharp cookie that he is, he notices that there is tension between the two of them. Um, Definitely. Yeah, which, you know, you have to admire. I, I Like I said before in our last podcast, I am really liking this Pike. He's smart, he trusts his people, but he stays out of the way, and the story isn't about him. And I'm just really liking that dynamic that they're putting together with this. So anyway, so Agent Giorgio is there because she's been the one who's tasked with bringing in Spock for all his counts of murder. She's So it's agent, it's like, excuse me, it's section 31 who's after Spock and she's the one who's been assigned to go get him. And so I think, yeah, this is when um, Captain Pike talks to his old friend in, in section 31 who is very um, slippery. <laughs> in his yeah. responses yeah. Yeah. it's like watching a politician speak and yeah. Captain Pike is not happy about you know the double talk and the runaround he's getting from his friend but he agrees to let Agent uh, Section 31 do their jobs and so he releases Captain Giorgio and there's this great scene with Giorgio and Burnham where you can see they are going to be at odds with each other. They are enemies. And I gotta tell you, <laughs> Michelle Yeoh is so awesome. <laughs> she is. She is so, so evil. She is and she's having such a good time doing it. <laughs> I just enjoy watching her because there's just so much pleasure oozing off of her. Now, I don't know if it's the actress or it's the actress doing the character who enjoys being duplicitous and enjoys being, you know, the good Captain Giorgio, but only Burnham knows she's the evil empress. I mean, it's just, it's so well done. I just, it's a, it's a pleasure to watch every time. And she says at one point that she does her best work in plain sight. And it was just, it was chilling and awe-inspiring all at the same time. Yeah, and I have to imagine that the character enjoys every minute of that. Yes, she does. She's got, or at least she believes yeah. she has an advantage in this universe. And she's going to milk it until the opportunity arises for her to, you know, take power and control, which is her thing. So, okay. so they let 
uh, Giorgio go, which was, you know, it was kind of an interesting little, I don't know. You know, we thought we were chasing Spock. We're chasing Spock. We're chasing Spock. We're chasing Spock. Oh, no, it's not Spock. It's Captain Giorgio. And so it was kind of a, I don't even call it, call it a twist. It was almost like a little frolic and detour in the storyline. A way to reintroduce Agent Giorgio as a character, keep her involved in the storyline, and prolong the whole let's find stock, Spock thing. Which, that felt a little contrived. Again, the individual scenes of interacting, you know, Burnham with Giorgio interaction was outstanding. Pike's sort of observation of the dynamics going on around him, outstanding. But the scene in itself felt contrived in, as far as, like, the way the story was going. I don't know. What did you think? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It did. It did. So then we go back to the Tilly story. And so they think that they can use this cocoon to transport themselves into the network. And meanwhile, we actually go to the network and we see Tilly and May. And Tilly is understandably furious at being kidnapped and frightened at being in this strange place and determined to get back. But she also, and I'm very happy to say this, started to listen to May, which she wasn't doing when May was a figment of her imagination rather than an actual entity. Now she's sort of more Starfleet in her approach that she's going to listen, she's going to give the benefit of the doubt before she makes some decisions. And so she hears May asking her for help because there's a monster killing her spore brethren. And Tilly promises to help her kill the monster. So, and and this part I didn't really quite understand, but I really did love it. (laughs) The only way to get to Tilly in the mycelium network is to somehow transport the ship only part way using the spore drive. So the ship is like halfway in the network, halfway out of the network. Kind of looks like it's sinking into the network. And it's like the Titanic, right? The water's rising. <laughs> they have to yeah. they have to stay away from that line of demarcation between their reality and the spore reality, otherwise they're going to be destroyed. You know, the people will be killed. And so then they use the cocoon. It was Stamets and Burnham use the cocoon to get into the network while Discovery is half in, half out. And then they track down Tilly, and they find May, and they are looking for the monster. And they're on the ship doing this. It's sort of like the ship that's in this, that's already in the network. This is where they're traversing the halls of the ship. And they've come. They find the monster, and then they learn it's Doctor Culver, who somehow, and this part is the part that confused the heck out of me. <laughs> somehow, Stamets brought some of his DNA into the mycelial network after he died. Apparently. And then he somehow and regenerated. Did you get it? Can't hear you. I said, did you understand that? I didn't hear anything he said. That he somehow had, he brought some of Culber's DNA into the network and then he regenerated? Apparently, they regenerate. She says more times than, um, she says quite often that those little spores that attack people, they reconstitute people. They made him from that DNA. Oh, okay, yeah. All right. Into a person. Who then turned but around and fought back. Certainly, they also 
sting and hurt when they're why they built him because then they try to take him hurt is the way I understood it. Well, and the other thing that I'm just thinking of now is is that you're right because May warned Tilly not to touch something that then stung her and attacked her. Now, did May warn Tilly to not touch those things or did she tell those things to stop touching Tilly? No, so she, well, first she told, she she warned Tilly not to touch some bark on the tree. Okay. Because that's poisonous to them. Apparently it's not poisonous to us. Right, because that's what Culver covered himself in. But, right. Okay. To protect himself from the other little things that attack. And she did tell those little things not to attack Tilly. Interesting. So he covered himself with the tree bark yes. to protect himself from these little probe things that were trying to take him apart after they put him together. So right. that part really doesn't make a lot of sense. Agreed. Thank you. Well said. So um, I actually forgot to mention before they went into this mycelium world, there was, a, there was an interaction between Burnham and Ash Tyler because he was assigned to be the liaison from section 31 and ash tyler is known to starfleet as the guy who became valk and who went to the klingons and so captain pike is suspicious of him and then there's this great scene between burnham and pike where pike's going says there's something going on and you're not telling me and you need to tell me and she says i will tell you i just need some time and he's like cool don't make me wait (laughs) Right. I love that. But I have a feeling that she, yeah, I have a feeling that she should have told him then. I just have a feeling that she's going to wait too long and something. Maybe, but I don't know. You know, she had to go rescue Tilly, so I, I there was an actual legitimate time issue as opposed to a made-up time issue because she's having emotions. Right. <laughs> so right. I at least I wasn't going because I would have been with you if it was like emotions. I just can't do this right now. I would have been like, oh, God, yeah. just, you know what, do it. But it was an actual I got to go because Tilly and we got to, you know, and that I felt like it was legitimate to make him wait. So I, I was OK yeah. with that. But, but I think that towards the end of the episode, they could have uh, she could have explained it. all. Yes. Yeah. I that, thought they could have taken care of that in this episode. Yeah, I think you're right. So back to inside the mycelium network, they find it's Dr. Culber, and they want to save him, of course, and May starts to go bonkers, because as far as she's concerned, this this guy is a monster, and Tilly promised to kill the monster, and now they want to save the monster. (laughs) And that was kind of, I thought, mushy, you know, that they didn't sit down with her and say, we understand that he's dangerous to you, but we actually want to take him back with us, so that will remove him, so the monster will be gone and, you know, calm her down right. instead of just, you know, her going bonkers and and having this conflict. Yeah, there was far too, yeah, there was far too many long conversations yes. when they're supposed to be, like, sinking into this network. And yes. They all take the time to get all emotional. And yes. I was losing my patience. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. So, you know, they determine that he seems real. They want to bring him back, but they get back to engineering and they're gonna pass through the line of demarcation between the mycelium world and their world and Culver can't pass it because he's actually made of the spores because he was reconstituted by the spores. And so, um, just so that you know, my son pegged it long before anyone else did. He's like, use the cocoon. (laughs) And I was 
like, oh God, you're right. And then we had to wait like five minutes for them to figure out how to use the Kinku and my son had already gone there for them. He needs to be on that ship helping them. So they realized they could use the cocoon because the cocoon was made with human DNA, Tilly's DNA. And so if they use the cocoon, but, but May gets all tensed out because if she uses the cocoon, she won't have a conduit to talk to Tilly anymore. And so another moment where I'm going, okay, I didn't realize that May wanted to keep talking to Tilly. I just thought Tilly wanted, May wanted Tilly's help to kill the monster and stop damaging the network and leave him alone. And that's what I thought. Right. That's what I thought too. But apparently they've grown his head. Uh, apparently. So now me, me. And we had to hear another big yeah. long speech about that. Yeah. Before they got in the stupid cocoon. Yeah. Even yeah. though this whole time the ship is oh. sinking rapidly, right? It is the Titanic. People are right. like running away from the, the, the line of the demarcation oh. that looks like water running, rushing towards them. So, and they're going to drown in the, in death and, and they're taking forever <laughs> to just Get it yeah. done. Anyway, so finally, Tilly promises May that she will try to find a way to reconnect with her. And we believe her because Tilly's pretty clever and she understands the network and she's, you know, seems to have got, you know, a head for understanding the network. So May believes her and then they finally step through and they beam Culber into the cocoon and he comes out and he's okay and Stamets is very happy and, and then the Section 31 guys have to tow discovery out of the network mud puddle it's stuck in and all is well with the world and so one of the last scenes is Burnham coming back to her quarters until he's there or vice versa and Burnham doesn't say anything until he sits down and starts to cry because she had to say goodbye to May which I loved the scene but was also slightly confused by it because I love the scene because I thought it was very well acted, and I thought that Mary Wiseman did a beautiful job of silently showing how bereft she was. But the first time we meet May, Tilly thinks that she's going crazy, and May is a figment of her sec- imagination. And the second time we meet May, May is just complete nut job screaming at Tilly, <laughs> and then attacks her as a big blob. And then the third time we meet May, she kidnaps Tilly and takes her to the mycelial network. Where did the friendship happen? Yeah, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure that's the whole reason Tilly was crying. I think she was crying about the whole, whole um, about everything she's been through. Okay, I you like know, that. She was kidnapped. She was so. I don't know that there's this great friendship on Tilly's part. Maybe a little bit. Um, I think she, it was just that she wanted to help her when she realized that she wasn't crazy. Right species needed help you know that was a different story but i think it was just the relief of it all being over okay i like that so much better she'd been through i like that so much better i am going to run with that interpretation because that makes that makes a lot of sense i mean and she did go through a lot right right so yes okay thank you very good so any other thoughts about this episode oh you know there's pike's distrust for ash yes um and i i think because burnham said he was a good man maybe he's willing to give him the benefit of the doubt but then section 31 did hide their ship yep from them and ash had a communication device that you know they couldn't even communicate with other decks on the ship but he had a communication 
device. Yeah. And he knew they were out there. So yeah. I think that kind of uh, undermined cut the trust that maybe he would have had on Burnham's word. Yes. No. I agree. I agree. I think so. They they added all these layers of you know drama to the relationship with Ash Tyler. It's going to be interesting to see where this goes. He seems like he genuinely wants to do right. That's the yeah. the vibe he's giving off. And I don't think he actually really has it in him to be duplicitous the way Agent Giorgio has it in her. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, no. And I think he deserves the trust. I think just because of Section 31 hiding their ship yeah. and him having a communication device that nobody was aware of, I think that kind of brought it... I think Pike would have taken Burnham at her word. Yeah. Benefit of the doubt, but after that, he's going to be a little bit leery. I agree. So overall... Then, I, go ahead. Oh, oh, you know, we've, we discovered. It's this episode. We finally get some... Uh, the word I went. Well, we finally find out why we don't see holograms in the original series. Oh, did did I miss that? Do tell. When um, what's her name? Number one comes. Yes. Yes. That oh, that's right. We got right. to see number okay. one, who seems like she's a really efficient. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning, um, you're right. He tells her. Apparently, the the holograms were hacked, so he has them take them out all of take them all out of Enterprise. Interesting. He doesn't want to use holograms. He's only used old-fashioned teeth. Good for him. So I guess we're to believe that while we were watching the series that everybody else had holograms. It's just Enterprise. Interesting. Okay. All because right. they were easily hacked. Yeah. All right. All right. Awesome. To explain, you know. I don't know how I... They don't have holograms. I don't know how I missed that. Any other thoughts on Saints... Of oh gosh, what was this one called? This one is um, Saints of Imperfection. Where are we now? Uh, do you have any other thoughts on Saints of Imperfection? Oh no, I you know we got to meet number one. I'm reserving judgment. Yep, <laughs> I liked her. I liked her. I thought I liked the character. Very forthright. I thought it was good, which is very much the way the character was in the original series when we saw, um, right. the, you know, the episode The Cage. Um, a very forthright, logical, strong character. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would give this one, I'm going to say, uh, a seven, six or seven, on a scale of one to ten. Yeah, I'll go with seven. Okay. All right, cool. All right, well, we invite our listeners to join us for our next podcast, which will review the episode Sounds of Thunder. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter at Ross Bugden, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org.
Transfer complete. 